the sun nope that's not right that's not right nope you're the dragon of like dragon like sun welcome back it is episode four and though we are in trying times yes an era of social distancing uh, we've come back or at least i've come back and the tables have turned and now i am playing D again and my father i have taken a bit of a break as my groups have all decided to have a little bit more space which is understandable um but you started playing online this week i did i played my first game online uh what what software what were you guys how did you set it up we using you the my dm used fantasy grounds which is something i'm not familiar with i don't know much about the online DD landscape i know about roll 20 i know about a couple of things tailspire is coming out soon but um i wasn't sure I, I it looks fairly old just from what i've seen but they have all of the new content and that's sort of a problem is i don't think i'd be willing to purchase all the content again just to have it wow so fantasy grounds is like uh, you'd have to repurchase all your like D&D i like I, I don't know how it works like is there a dnd like dnd beyond code okay. for it like do i have to buy it again i don't know the details um, how how was it for building a character with that it was limiting i purposefully went simple because it is not as helpful as dnd beyond has been right the one thing dnd beyond needs is an online thing like i mean They'd have, it would be challenging for them to run servers, but if they could have something that ties into your D&D Beyond account that could let you like open up a group chat. I mean, that's that's not even necessary. If you can use Google Hangouts, just anything where you can upload maps. Um, they already have the initiative tracker. You know, it's not challenging. Um, let people have like a user interface where they can pull up their character sheets. Uh, I just, it's it's easy you know mm. like once they get that system like you can just it, it, it just seems so simple i mean of course there's it probably more behind like it there's real demand for it right now exactly it's like the perfect time to drop it but i mean it takes time to get those sort of things sorted and so tell fantasy me bit, grounds tell me a bit about the fantasy grounds game how many people were playing a lot of people were playing and a lot of people were new to it so it was slow we got how, through two combats how many players eight seven or eight players holy cow and I think nine, uh, if you include the DM. So wow, yeah, it was. There were some connection issues sometimes, um, but luckily, Fantasy Grounds didn't crash on us. Some people were having sort of unresponsive moments, and there was actually something because you can download your D and D Beyond character as like a a link, right, or whatever, okay. right or a file and you can put it into fantasy grounds and it mostly uploads everything about your character but it does miss a few things like core stats spells all of those sort of just get skipped from what i saw and so we had to manually put them in a little bit too late um especially with so many people sort of I'm not anxious, but, you know, ready to right. it's a jump first into session, it. Though, Again, right. it's a first session with Fantasy Grounds. Of course, there's so going to be some. So, first session, you guys, you guys, learning about how it. many hours? <sighs> about four, but with the setup, it was probably more around two. Right. So, with in a four-hour span, you managed to all build characters. Sure. All get online together and still play for a couple hours and have a couple of combats. Absolutely. And you guys are all certain level one characters. Well, yeah. We wanted to keep it simple, and I think he did that on purpose because it was Fantasy Grounds. I think if we were using D&D Beyond or doing it in person, he would have had us make a higher level character or just continue with what we were doing so back when a, it was it's in a school. big, but big table. It was. And we wanted to make the... I mean, because the more abilities you get, the more complex things get. Absolutely. And, and so takes. Exactly. Yeah. But there's some characters that really don't have anything at first level. So I really wanted to make a baseline character. None of our weird antics with figuring out how to make these crazy characters. I just wanted to go simple, trying a new software, playing a new class for the first time, try to the Barbarian. Um, yes. Fun. Pretty straight up simple, right? Straight up simple. Level I wanted one, to make it straight up simple. Yeah. You make them strength based. Exactly. 
Yeah, it's pretty simple, right? I mean, yeah. Strength, dex, constitution. I thought the furbolg was a nice little like touch rather than your human or your. Right. Yeah, if you made a furbolg barbarian, yeah. that already is a bit of a step outside. Well, I mean, it is the second most common thing for, for furbolgs. Yeah, they have a boost of strength and they're big things. I would have thought druids and clerics first. And mm, then... Well, clerics, I suppose. It's druid is number one, barbarian is number two. Um, they're sort of the primal <laughs> strength, big brute. I mean, it kind of yeah, makes sense. I guess. But. Furbolg's always a weird race to play, and that's why I've always sort of liked them. Yeah, I mean, I, I play a weird one uh, who's a, a scout rogue who's very, very good at hiding, because I love mm. the idea of an eight-foot character being Talked the best about hider. Him yeah. the other episode. That was a fun one. Um, um, exciting stuff, though, right as this, this sort of happened. Again, Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But very exciting week, or at least for me. Plenty of things happening. Um lots of games going I mean frankly this has been a major upturn in terms of things we are a bit down the past few weeks um, and I'm sure it'll be like an, a so would, you, would you honestly be looking forward to having eight players at the table each week or do you think it was sort of they put the invite out to a bunch of people lots showed up and it'll dwindle do you think like I don't know. I think people want to do it. Is the thing. It's with the D. It's like with D and D. People want to play. It's just there are things that stand in the way. I know. I've I've said before that I, maybe not on on this podcast, but I'll say it now. It's a DM's market. If you uh, sure. if you're a even a half decent DM, even if you're brand new, but you've got lots of energy and you really sure. can bring it. Um, people will be supportive of yeah, you. Yeah, you know, people will love it. There, there's so many players out there. Um, Absolutely. You should have no problem putting a game together. Uh, yeah. There's way more players than there are DMs, for sure. Definitely. Oh, I mean, it's just because of party composition. You can't have five DMs in one player, you know. Well, it's not even that. I think it's the willingness. The work. The workload it's of true. a DM it is, is true. much greater. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, tr- I mean, the, I think the easiest, best thing you can do for yourself is to play a, a pre-made Module. If you're beginning, I mean, if you yeah. want to make I mean, your it, world, well, it's just go the least it. amount of work, right? Sure. You just open I mean, up the book and away you go. Matt Mercer's made his own world. Yeah, which, and uh, I mean, I grew up making worlds. I mean, I, I say that we we bought plenty of modules. We bought them for the maps. Sure. I'm not going to lie. We bought them for the maps. We bought them for some of the ideas in it, and then we would basically rejig them. Um, mm. Talking about maps, not a sponsor, but an endorsement by me. Two Minute Tabletop has fantastic maps. Yeah, you like them. That I use quite often, that I enjoy. Hmm. Um, I definitely recommend th- that website, two minute tabletop.com. They've got fantastic, they've got all sorts of things, new stuff coming out. Something you Very mentioned good. a bit earlier that I'm super keen to, to get in and check out. We I backed uh, Tailspire. Mm on their Kickstarter. I haven't actually gone and opened it up and started messing around with it yet, but do you have it? Um, well, this is, I don't know. Is it out? Is it released? I'm not sure. I've been following. I need to have a, go have a look at it. I have a, not that I know if or when we'll get a chance to play it now, but, uh, a Gothic horror series that I'm playing with a, a couple of other players, um, that we do sort of one shots during, like holidays and stuff with it. It's sort of the one that we play over breaks rather than a regular sort of game. Sure. Um, and sort of chapter two of that, we're sort of going to do it over the Easter break, but I don't know if that's going to happen now. Um, but anyways, I was sort of thinking I need to build, I need to build a, I want to build this really cool circus map. Um, and I don't know if Tailspire is the right place to do that. I definitely don't think there's maps for the sort of thing that I have cooked up. And so, um, yeah, I'm a little bit stuck as to how to go about producing something cool for that. So. Mm. Well, there's always commissions. Again, another market out there, artists mm. who yeah like drawing and landscapes. I mean, it's grid, it's maps, it's... I mean, it, it, like the, the thing about Two Minute Tabletop, they sell assets and tokens. Mm. So you can create your own patterns and things like that with like roads. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if they have carnival stuff but they've got plenty of assets yeah well i mean it might be enough things i could put together sure something around it but 
Anyways. I mean, I'm sure you commission him as well. I mean, it depends how far you want to go with it. But yeah. there's, I mean, it's it's a crazy world out there. D&D's gone global. Yeah, it's, it's, it's having a renaissance for sure. Although I, I wonder if, you know, everybody's social distancing is going to put a little bit of a pause on it. Um, well, yeah, because crit- I... Yeah. Critical Role's not... Uh, on the air streaming things um, getting together but that's where the online thing I think Tailspires come perhaps at the perfect time yeah or this fantasy grounds or yeah where everyone's looking um, there's a massive market and demand for online D&D and these I mean I'm not sure how like what they're going to be like but do you think it's as much fun as being in the same room with people it's harder it's harder for sure jokes don't translate as well and I mean, it's you can still do combat and you can still attempt role play, but it's never the same as when you're all in person. Right. I mean, with 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 these new things like Tailspire, there's visuals to it, you know. Because the worst problem I had trying to run an online game because I tried to with just Google Hangouts, Theater of the Mind style, and it was it didn't it didn't feel like the same experience hmm. that having a software that let me visualize things and maybe yeah, it's just a, but i think the software is well like uh, there's a part of me that maybe it's because i'm old and i'm old-fashioned that it starts to become too much of a video game sure with too much of the draw of the yeah. the set drawn that it doesn't have any theater of the mind it doesn't it's one thing when I describe a situation and if I don't describe it terribly well as a DM and somebody says, well, what is that? What do you mean by that? And then I can describe that more and I can sure. lean into things. Or if I can see that look on their face where I've said something that has scared them or sparked their imagination or something, or they've had a little, that those, you know, body language reactions, you can, you sure. can keep going with that. You can sort of improv on it. It's yeah. harder to do online. I think there right? needs to be a balance and bring it back to critical role i mean he did like matt mercer does a fantastic job of describing environments but the reactions when he brings out the dwarven forge that he crafts himself and everyone goes whoa look at that map you know and it's i suppose it's also a like a dm as a dm you need to consider what you're using as maps and how much you want to lean on visual aid because like in person we just have this dry erase sort of Sure. Laminated. The, the dry erase. Grid paper. Uh, yeah. Giant grid paper for minis is. A, yeah. And you know. just a, a selection of stock minis. You and know? that works great for, I mean, that can fill millions of different situations. Sure. And now the sort of the question about how far is 30 feet no longer becomes an issue because yeah, we have How exactly. close am I? It's, yeah, exactly. Whereas, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I'm lucky enough to play in a couple of groups where the DMs go to great lengths to have the most amazing maps printed out um, at specialty printer places on like big vinyl sort of sheets. Mm. And uh, and those are beautiful. I mean, we play on some of the most gorgeous maps. They're not 3D, they're not Dwarven Forge, but still having them printed out is sure. uh, fantastic. And I think the nice thing about Tailspire, from what I've seen of it, I haven't seen much of it, but it looks like the your ability to take control of it and what you can do with it seems sort of much more vast, you know? And, like, the way you can put things together so seamlessly rather than sort of preset maps or, like, the fact that it can be 3D and you can fully visualize that seems, like, very like seems very fascinating to me, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know how they pull it off. It sounds amazing. Yeah, so. I mean, I guess we'll have to see, but it seems very cool. I mean, also, with Fantasy Grounds, some of the rolling and dragging things is a lot less impactful than when you roll it in person because yeah. rolling a dice is such a well that's one of the best parts part. I mean, like, people don't have crazy so big dice collections because no. dice suck dice are fun yeah dice are amazing they're so fun to roll yeah and now i mean for a long time i was okay with plastic rock and i still am i love them i love all dice but there is a weight to metal ones which is unlike you you got a set of metal dice for your birthday i did and since then you're a convert now i mean i'm not it's not the only dice i'll ever use it's not per, i mean i can live with plastic dice they're still like the design and is so nice and you don't need metal dice but there is a weight to them is all i'll say i i know i, I sit at a table as the only guy that still rolls all plastic and uh this Everybody else, that thunk, thunk, thunk 
that their dice make uh, as they roll them out. Now, okay, I would say that actually it's just one of my games that I sit and play at that um, everybody except me is in middle dice. Some of the other ones, people are all plastic as well, sure. which is cool. Sure. Um, all my friends are. None of yeah. my friends, well, now I do. But. Everybody, I mean, everybody's got two sets of dice these days, though, right? You got sure. two colors of, of stuff. Well, like as that. a DM, we did buy a big bag of plastic yeah. ones, so yeah. I have an unending supply of dice. You have a lot of dice. But um, I have my personal set, and yeah. I have my metal set. Sure. And I've got, I've got custom ones set up for different characters I have. I mean, I, 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 I would go that who's far. got a lot more dice in his bag because spells have made a lot more dice. You call him a wizard, but... He's a wizard. Uh, is he? He spells. I, I still need I still need a pile of D6s every time he casts Fireball. If he casts Fireball. He does. He makes um, it um, I mean, that was my experience with online D&D. We got through a couple combats. Seems intuitive. I mean, they've got like a round thing. You can drag dice into like the chat menu. Oh, one of my favorite little features from Fantasy Grounds, which I thought, I mean, is useless, but so fun, is that depending on the, like the languages your character knows, you can speak different languages in the chat like so you, you could you click type, the elvish button in that and then i mean you still type in english but then it posts in elvish or like in like a little like script whatever right, right depending on what language and only people who understand the language that's like the same language can see, see the translation ah that's nice so you guys can have in language like little chats inside the party I mean, it's useless well no it's it's great you can exclude other players and but be like why total jerks to them. it's exactly it's, it's no it's, it's it's exclusionary, but it was cute at first, and everyone was having fun with it. Yeah. There is real, like, there's no use to it. In, in the Eberron campaign, I'm the I've got the only character who doesn't speak Goblin. It's infuriating. I yeah. I mean, now we both play for Bulgs, so yeah. for Bulg, for Bulgs, Giant. For who else needs to speak Giant? No exactly. one speaks Giant. No one speaks. I mean, humans speak if they want to, but it's once in a while you come across a Giant. Yeah. Why? Why would you take Giant? Yeah. Well, I say. It's funny, if I fought them in another campaign, but yeah, never matches them. No. I mean, you're going to take Rune Knight, so you're just going to learn Giant for free. Well, that's but. actually how that that whole character sort of arc goes to start going, is because we started finding the Giants, and my character started picking up on all the runes that mm-hmm. have been shown up in the game, and he's been collecting them and that's that, cool. like, stuff. So there's a sort of storyline there, oh, so even though he's okay. levels away from it yet, I felt that it was his amount of, the amount of like story that's taken place with him you know, doing stuff with the runes will make sense that when he gets that third level of fighter mm. that he can take that and it will make sense. I mean Fantasy Grounds has been a very useful tool. I mean it's got it's got fun features to it, but it's not the same. If there's one thing I took away, it's not quite the same. Sure it's it's got fancy little tricks, but it's never the same as playing in person is what I found at least. Um I mean I'm I'm excited to check out Tailspire when it comes out. Yeah, me too. Talking about new things coming out. Wild Mount. It's Wars Guide to Wild Mount. I was so, I am so excited. I'm still excited for this. And there was so much more than I was anticipating. I've I've only like kind of skimmed the table of contents. Um, What are your favorite things you've found so far? They've got um, a bunch of interesting magic items. There's also vestiges of divergence and arms of the betrayers, which I sort of take our godly magic items that are aligned with specific deities. Um, but the magic items of Wild Mount are so much fun. Um, you'll see ones that are sort of featured in it, like the Dust of Deliciousness, of course, which is so fascinating. But then there's all like these character ideas, like the Bubble Master is a character I've had for a long time. And now they have a magic item called the Breathing bubble and it's just they're so fun they've got fantastic illustrations and just so much interesting new stuff to put in to your D game like i like right. there's a bunch of artwork list, list off like list off my favorite give me like five that, that okay. you love and tell me what you should let's go through each one what they do amulet of the drunkard it's got a fun little image of a chain with a little barley seed an emblem amulet of the drunkard amulet of the drunkard this okay. amulet smells of old ale stained wood while wearing it, you can regain 44 smells plus like 4. Smells like a stale bar. Smells like a stale bar. That's right. Um, it's a wondrous item. Uh, uncommon. Okay. Does not require attunement. While wearing it, you can regain 44 plus 4 hit points when you drink a pint of beer, ale, mead, or wine. All right. So you get hit points if you can find a beer in the bar. How hard is that? It's D&D. Once the amulet has restored its hit points, it can't do so again until the next dawn. 
So essentially once per day, you can have an excuse to so indulge. So just hopefully while you're, you know, clearing that dungeon, you go around the corner and you're like, hey, they got a bar down here. Or you could have your brew supplies now have a new use. Um, now your drunken master suddenly has, like, brewer's supplies for free. Or an artificer idea right there. They've made this magic item, the Amulet of the Drunkard, and they have brewer's supplies as their artisan's tools. I mean, that's a character that writes itself right there. I mean, I love that one. And it's got such a cute little illustration to it. it you know, thinking of reasons to have brewer's supplies has proven challenging. Mm. Uh, it's a fun idea in theory but it's very hard very situational i mean even if you you, know, you dig into you know the extra stuff that xanthar's guide gives you uh, yeah. put into it um yeah the, the most you're doing is really like cooking up like some like ale but even that takes a while and stuff at least this way if you've got this magic item there's suddenly a reason to it it's sort of a combo effect where you're exactly. like hey i can give you a bunch of hit points and it's uncommon but it has to be ale it has to be has to be ale beer wine any of the oh, it could be wine anything alcoholic beer a pint of beer ale mead or wine oh there you go there you go i mean it's i think that's so fun yeah i mean give it basically turns any yeah. any alcoholic drink into a healing potion it's still alcoholic, but... You're 44, right? 44 plus 4. So that's like a greater healing potion. Sure. It's like a fourth level healing word with yes. a 18 wisdom clear. That's, that's pretty pricey potion normally. Uncommon magic item. I mean, that's what an uncommon healing potion would be, frankly. And that you get that as much as you want just from getting beer. I mean, there's obviously the cost of beer, but I think I that's just such a fun magic item. Roleplay-wise, mechanics-wise, I think it just hits all the fun criteria, you know? But, yeah, it's still hard enough to use that. Sure, and it's still situations. You know? If you're traveling, if you're in the wilderness, you're not likely going to. But I can also, like, think of some, like, drunken, like, like some, like, character that's got, like, an alcoholic, and this, sure. like, magic item is just feeding into their character yeah, flaw. I mean, I'm, you know? I'm surprised that a character, like, Critical Role is not... Doesn't have, have this. Like this. Yeah. Some, a character that had commissioned a bottomless flask um, sure. to drink from. If uh, if she'd had also that amulet, she'd been continually restoring. Well, it's once per day, right? Mm. Is that what it it's was? once per dawn. Once yeah. per day. All right. Not bad. All right. What else we got? Uh, they've got new magic magic items, and I think this one looks very cool. The Dusk Crusher, um, essentially a warhammer of. Pelor, the Dawnfather, like a light domain god, and it's searing flames to it. Uh, beautiful sort of illustrations. Quite powerful, very rare, requires attunement, and there's not a lot of Warhammers out there. Like, right. You'll see so a lot of famous war It's like, a Warhammer that's or, got like a ring at the top, and instead of... The ring of like, Pelor, yeah. Instead of like a a block of, of metal or stone... It's got flames it's coming out of it. It's basically flames being Radiant held in flames. place by this ring. Yeah, a big sort of flat end to the flames at one side where the hammer part would be. It emits light. Yeah, it probably would. It's got flames at the top of it. That's right. It's sunlight. Oh well, take that, Strahd. Sure. Any vampires? Uh, like that's Dusk Crusher. You yeah. Know? Let's, let's take that one into our uh, Ravenloft setting and see how uh, see how the old vampire likes that. <laughs> Plus two to bonus um, to attack rolls and damage rolls with this magic weapon, and they deal radiant damage instead of bludgeoning damage. So, hey, while we're on this topic, hang on, wait a sec. We'll go back to the damage event. Okay, okay. How do you feel about taking a magic item from a new book like this and then using it in a very old book, like, say, Curse of Strahd? Sure. I'm, I have no problem with it. It's just like taking new one or Thurkana and putting them into... Into like into characters, or I guess, but I mean, I guess like the the whole thing about Chris Estrade is that there's a uh, sun sword in that game, which is like kind of like the most important magical item you get your hands on, and if you suddenly are like introducing more, I mean, obviously this is a, as a DM, you'd be careful, maybe not sure. to do. It's very rare. I or, mean, it's not like or maybe it's you a just Exactly. One. I don't know. Maybe you swap it out. You swap it out. You know, if give you, it reason. If the, exactly. If the player like, is there a the light game, domain cleric that worships Paylor? Sure. Sure? Okay. Is this a gift somehow? What level are they? Level 10? Divine Intervention? Yeah. 
Okay, fine. Sure. Why not? You know? It's So how much damage does it do? It deals normal war hammer damage, which is D eight or D ten, depending on how many hands you're holding it with. Uh, up to three hands for a D twelve. Not true. Um, and if it's hit like if it hits an undead creature, it deals an extra one D eight radiant damage. Uh, and you can cast Sunbeam with it. So it is sun light illumination. If uh if you carry it for a long period of time, do you get a tan? I'd allow that. Yeah. Sure. Why not? That's the reason they felt like follow the light domain. UV light domain. <laughs> they like they like really enjoy having a dark tan. They cast like the light on their hand to like get a tan. Yeah. I like They're that. Constantly working on this. Cast like the daylight spell. Hey. Yeah. That's and then fun. they and then they use lesser restoration to cure their cancer. Sure. Well, that's a greater restoration. No, actually, greater restoration does not cure disease. Well, no, take three levels of paladin, you're immune to disease. Yeah, could Boom, do that. There you go. Um, but it's actually lesser de- restoration that deals with disease. Is it actually? Yeah. Wow. Greater restoration doesn't actually cure your disease, which is, seems like a bit of a waste for that. I mean, I'm sure it does, but... It doesn't. It, it does. written. You're like, why didn't they write in, oh, and it also does all this stuff lesser restoration. As a DM, I'd allow greater restoration yeah. to do pretty much any restoring. you playing the game wrong. Well, it's how Matt Mercer does it, and I don't think he does anything wrong, so... Yeah, you can play this game however you want. Absolutely. Just, yeah, throw the rule book out. Why'd you even bother buying it? <laughs> okay. Moving on to magic item number three, the Dust of Deliciousness, as showcased fantastically by Jester Genevieve Lavore, yes. played by Laura Bailey. Um, this reddish-brown dust can be sprinkled over any edible surface to greatly improve the flavor. The dust also dulls the ear's senses. Anyone eating the food treated with this dust has disadvantage on wisdom ability checks and wisdom saving throws for one hour. There's enough dust to flavor six servings. Yeah, uh, who'd have thunk that such a... I mean, I won't give you spoilers. silly little... Uh, yeah, wow. I don't want to spoil what anybody. A, what a episode. Such a silly little uh, magic item but can often turn the tide if used very carefully sure any i mean it's just in seeing it here is so nice just the idea that you're giving somebody disadvantage on wisdom could be what you need to cast a spell on them that they fail to save on sure absolutely now number four is a potion consumables typically are overlooked because of their you know not lasting you know they're consumable once they're gone they're gone you know one off but this is just so cool, and it makes me want to play an alchemist, artificer who makes potions. Okay. You know, and that's not something they can do. But this is such, and they don't have any potions in D and D. Sure. There are not enough potions. Look, alchemy is alchemist supplies are part of the game. Sure. It's it's not written like there's plenty of supplements. If you need somebody to give you some rules on how to do alchemy, check out DM's Guild. There's plenty. Absolutely. But the reason that uh, you know, D&D's kept the rules in alchemy like with most crafting almost non- like yeah. most crafting they is to basically make. allow you in to game do to decide they want. exactly to say okay Ivan I have a in this case uh, an artificer who's you know into alchemy I've got the alchemist's kit I've got the proficiency in it um, I want to brew this thing I've got gold I've got time I've got money I've got, I've got the time skills. Let's do. This. Let's do it, and talk to your DM about it. Of course, sure. whenever you're doing anything like that. Uh, but of course, but I think if you're building that character, you'd tell them like straight up at the beginning. This is how I'm really. Yeah, and I've I've had friends play in my campaign who did that, and I've I gave them a against something I found in DM's Guild a big list on it, and said okay, and it lists things in that in terms of common and uncommon, and just said okay, going into this game, there were higher level characters, you can choose. I don't know, X number of common ones and a couple of uncommon ones, you know, sure. and have those in your bag. Absolutely. And, and that was super fun then for that character to have. Definitely. So anyways, what does this potion do? The first time you cast a damage dealing spell of fourth level or lower within one minute after drinking this potion, instead of rolling dice to determine the damage dealt, you can instead use the highest number possible for each die. This glowing purple liquid smells of sugar and plum, but it has a mud- muddy taste. Right, so you get to cast a fireball at fourth level and use sixes on all the dice. 60 points of damage. That's ridiculous. Rare potion. But I guess it's just for one time, so... It is for one time, yeah. It's sort of like, it's like steroids for your wizard spells. Sure, or for your artificer. 
or yeah. for your sorcerer or for your whatever. Right. Steroids for your magic. <laughs> Funny idea for a player combo. There's a sorcerer and an artificer who's sort of siphoning his blood to use for potions. Um, but like the sorcerer doesn't know it. And so he's just sort of like having like blood stolen from him during the night by the artificer to be like, t- like tested on. Like try this experimental elixir. Ooh, I feel quite, oh, I felt quite dazed this morning. Oh, don't worry about that. Up, like, yeah, like lightheaded. Or- lightheaded because he's overnighted. Keeps having like pints of blood taken from him so they can make juiced up like <laughs> yeah. stero- steroids. Magic potions. Magic steroids. Here you go. I think that's, it's got fun things and i think potions are often overlooked in D and some of them aren't like are often just like you become larger you become invisible sure. you i mean become I, smaller. As, a, as a dm i think i mean if i'm building a an adventure i place the potions in places that you know take a bit of work to get to maybe even are a side trip or something um as a as a reward for completing that but it's going to make life easier for them down the road um, in other things I, I have sort of set up later in the campaign if and when they get to them then suddenly they're like instead of sitting there scratching their head trying to become the creative solution to how the hell are we going to solve this they're like oh I got a potion of climbing let's just get this done mm, exactly and it's fun that way to sort of think oh I've got something in my bag that can solve this and There's always, but then there's always the worry when it's given to a player is that they'll waste it on a certain opportunity and then they won't have any more yeah okay it's crucial as a DM never to create a situation that requires particular because right. A they may never find it on the way there or B, you're right, B they, they might decide it. to use it somewhere else exactly. creatively so there always needs to be other options mm-hmm. but if they still have it it l- should look like the easiest option to them and, and sure. you should make an easy way for to get things done because if you make an easy way I guarantee you players won't take it if there's a harder way to do it a way you never dreamt up a way that's complicated and involves stupid ass things players will find it sure i mean that's the beauty of dnd is it not yeah final item and i talked to you earlier before this was released about how i want a magic item that can counter spell or do something because there should be that sounds like something you yeah. know it sounds like there should be something that catches spells or prevents spells i've always thought this- like uh like a ring of spell jamming sure right something that basically has got a once daily counter spell built into it would be like such a cool thing for uh, players to have, especially if you're in a high magic sort of environment where you're up against people who cast spells against you right. all the time. And there's a yeah block that fireball might be nicer than having to <laughs> see if you take half damage from it. Explorers got to Wild Mount introduces two of these kinds of items. The first one is a dispelling stone. Uh, this smooth, rainbow-colored, egg-shaped stone can be thrown up to 30 feet and explodes in a 10-foot radius sphere of magical energy on impact, destroying the stone. Any active spell, of fissile or lower, in the sphere ends. So concentration spells are done. Boom. All of them end. Nice. If anything, like any curse, anything of fissile or lower, done. You know. And as a DM, if you really wanted to bump this up from very rare to legendary, you could suddenly have it dispel... Higher level spells. Higher level spells. I mean, it's a simple tweak, you know, very simple magic item, but yeah. it's got that sort of spiral to it. But my favorite it's, one. It's, it sounds like a one-off thing, though. That you, is a one-off thing. It destroys it, it's itself. Like, it's like a grenade. It's essentially anti-magic an anti-magic grenade. grenade. Yeah. Nice. Spell bottle. Wonders item. Legendary. Does require attunement, but again, beautiful image for it. And such a interesting magic item. Our familiar is returned. This glass bottle can store one spell of up to 5th level at a time. When found, roll a d6 and subtract 1. The total determines the level of the spell in the bottle, so it can hold one spell at a time. Or zero. Or zero. A swirling blue vapor fills the bottle while it contains the spell. When the bottle is empty, any creature can cast a spell of 1st through 5th level by touching it while casting the spell, right? The spell has no effect other than to be stored in the bottle. While holding the bottle, you can cast the spell stored in it. The spell uses the spell slot level, spell save DC, spell attack bonus, and spell casting ability of the original caster, but is otherwise treated as if you cast the spell. The bottle becomes empty once the spell is cast. Now, that's one use for it, right? Putting something in it and like giving it to your party and going... I've already got an idea for it, like being able to cast enlarge in sure. the bottle. Absolutely. And then it basically stores it up. So then you could cast enlarge 
and then open the bottle and enlarge again. Sure. And yes, for those of you listening at home, I've recently, well, not so recently, for quite some time, I'm obsessed with getting a not just large, but huge mini onto the, the battle map. You're mad. I know. I know. I'm, I'm actually actively researching who can print me out a huge version of my of my character's mini. 3D print it so we can paint a huge version. You are bonkers. It's, I know. It was, I, know it's, I it's, always tell you to bonkers. It just really it. seems. It just really seems like something that has to get done at least once. The flip side of the spell bottle. If you're holding the empty bottle when you see a creature casting a spell within 60 feet of you, you can open the bottle as a reaction in an attempt to interrupt the spell. If this creature casting a spell of third level or lower, the spell has no effect and is stored in the bottle. Oh, this is back to your spell jamming idea, so... Mm -hmm. This is in it. This is like the writing. So you can stand beside somebody. Maybe you're like hidden or invisible and you just pop this baby open. And sure. Shoop, so it's like, a it's a counter spell at third level essentially. And a little bit like no but, but it stores way better. it. It's so better. It's like hey, where'd my fireball go? But, and then on your turn, can you open it up and throw the yeah. fireball back mm-hmm. at them? That's Absolutely. Cool. If it is casting a spell of fourth level or higher, make an intelligence check. The DC equals 10 plus the spell's level. On a success, the spell has no effect and is stored in the bottle. So theoretically, you say you have a very good intelligence. Say you have plus 6 one of the best intelligences available. And you roll, and say someone casts the wish spell, for example, and you use this magic item, and you store the wish spell in the bottle. And then you open it. Would the wish be the wish of the creature that cast the wish spell, or could it be your wish? Uh... But now there's a genie in a bottle already. You open it and there's a wish there's in There's a reason they're like, hey, the spells have to be fifth level or lower. I think no, it's no, it can be any level. It's just if it's above third level, you need to make an intelligence check. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I think some of the limiters they're putting on there is to try to prevent you from having to answer these, like getting into situations where you're dealing with these. It's a legendary but, item. Right. So somebody casts a wish spell and you interrupt it. You say, I mean, it's hard to do. It's a DC 19 intelligence check. Yeah, not impossible, though. Not impossible. I mean, if you get a good roll and if you have a good bonus. Yeah. You could easily do that. It's less than 50 50, but it's possible. Depends what level. If you're casting ninth level spells, you're probably up there. So you're. Plus five, let's say. Yeah, one. If, say, you're a rogue who's got your proficiency in intelligence. But it's a check. Oh, it's a check. So what? It's an ability score check. Mm hmm. Intelligent, just straight a straight up. intelligence check. Not Arcana, right? Not Arcana, no. All right, so no proficiency, so the best you can get is a plus five. Well, plus six Ooh, if you have a other thing. But say you have plus five, right? Uh, yeah. You still have to, like, it's... 14. 14 out of 20. Yeah. Seven out of 10 chance. I mean... It's not impossible. No, wait. Six out of ten chance. Yeah, you got like six a out of twenty. Forty percent chance for something to pull that off. Something. I mean, it's chance. it's possible. You have a thirty percent chance of pulling it off. Numbers yeah. aside, it's such just the artwork and the way they've done this, and I had no idea there were magic items coming out, so this was a complete surprise to me. Hmm. And all of these seem flavorful to me as a DM, exciting to me as a player, just to think about how they would work. And offer a new sort of like a new way to play the game. I think the only thing I've come across so far, and I mean I've I haven't looked at a lot, but um, big fan, big fan of the new halfling. Yeah, the new lotus den halfling. Lotus den halflings. I just think first of all, I mean Ebron did a little bit of love for the halflings as well. I'm not that I play halflings, but I just I love that. I love the the amount of love and attention they continue to get in D anD D. That they're not, you know, they're not they're not a joke. They're like they're a real thing. Sure. And people like I often think halflings are often actually quite overlooked I in the games I play. Um, I mean, in the Hobbit, halflings are the whole reason anything happens. Yeah, I mean, you described Lord of the Rings to me the other day as what a bunch of halflings going to destroy a ring of invisibility yeah a bunch of halflings on a mission to destroy a ring of invisibility which as the story goes doesn't sound as epic as it turned out to be but 
Hey. Hey. I mean. Things happen along the way. Yeah. Wizards. Sure. He's not human. He's Kalashtar. <laughs> um, but they get cool abilities. They get a wisdom increase, which is a new thing for the halfling, I believe. Um, which is very cool. I like that. Good for clerics. Good for monks. Good for... This makes them actually fantastic monks. Yeah. Um, no, I think they're really cool. Because they get a dex bump as well, right? So they get plus two dex, plus one whiz. I mean, perfect for rangers, perfect for a bunch of classes. Um, Child of the Wood. I mean, that lends itself towards druid and ranger, but I could see that being applied in different scenarios. Um, you know, the druidcraft cantrip, spellcasting, crazy thing for halflings. No halfling subclass has gotten spellcasting before, so this is a brand new thing. When you reach third level, you can cast Entangle. When you reach fifth level, you can cast Spike Growth once for long rest. Uh, they use wisdom, of course, and don't require material components, which is nice. Very druidy spells, you know? Yeah, well, this is just it. You don't need to play a druid with them because you've already got basic druid stuff. Sure, yeah. Um, now you can dip into monk or into rogue or into... Ranger. Ranger, if you want to. If you're crazy. <laughs> uh, you could go arcane archer and fighter. I'm just trying to think of like different things you can do with dex and wisdom, but it doesn't need, it can be outside of that, you know? I mean, it gives you these tools already, and the fact that this is something crazy, like, this is new, you know? There's never been any happening. Well, like actually, this. I think, I sort of think a, uh, like, maybe a monk, Kensei monk, who's sure much more about the, the bow and arrow. Why not? Uh, it could be quite fun. Sure, sure. I can say you know, so they still stay to the whole hunter in the woods sort of vibe. Absolutely. I think there's some fun things you could do with that. Um, Plus, then or just go completely different. Right. The royal gardener, and uh, you're very good at uh, making things grow in the garden. Why not? Yeah, definitely. There's a coup, and uh, before you know it, you're part of uh, a group of rebels who are fighting to return the rightful king to the throne. I mean, just an example, you know? Um, but they get another cool ability, Timber Walk. This is a very interesting ability, unlike anything else. This is a very much unusual subclass, which is why I think I like it quite a bit. Ability checks made to track you have disadvantage, and you can move across difficult terrain made of non-magical plants and undergrowth without expanding movement. The second part is seen a lot, but ability checks to track you are made with disadvantage. That's something quite new, and quite interesting for if you're playing a rogue, if you are playing the ranger or the monk, you know, we could go way of shadow monk with it and be very sort of like stealthing, like nature, nocturnal sort of thing with it, you know? You could build a weird lycanthrope lotus den thing that turns into a raccoon at night or whatever, I don't know. Um, I mean, there's just so... It's, it's a very cool nature halfling, you know? Peaceful, loving, maybe not loving, but nature halfling. I mean, I'm not sure what their write-up is, but... Ability-wise, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think it's, again, it's it just surprises me. It not surprises me. It delights me. Delights me, yeah. That I come across, you know, the new halfling things. And, yeah, I sort of feel like, ah, oh, you know, feels like a little corner of the, of the race world that, you know, still gets a lot of fun love uh, mm-hmm. put into it, which I'm touched by. The other new sub-race... Besides the halfling, which again I didn't know either of these were coming, is the pallid elf. Yeah, I'm not sure entirely what they're about and what their history is and how they fit in. But they the way like I see the them currently, the whitest elves ever. They are the anti-drow. They are the opposite of the like drow. Albino elves. Their abilities reflect the drow and are literal opposites to them. Right. Um, yeah. With their blessing of the moon weaver their spell casting is a direct counter you know they definitely stay need to stay out of that sunlight produced by that uh warhammer you were showing us earlier i think they need it frankly well no no this, this sunburn city baby like there's i mean honestly you can develop a tan but some people just go straight from like white to red keep it away from the keep it away from the drow yeah well they, obviously there's those who have sunlight sensitivity but i sort of think these guys look like they definitely need well, their skin has sunlight in too. Definitely maybe. don't have the melatonin to <laughs> sure. handle being outdoors long. They know the light cantrip. They can cast sleep. And when they reach fifth level, they can cast invisibility on themselves. Uh, using wisdom. Again, they get a wisdom bump, which are both cool abilities, but their craziest, most overpowered ability. Incisive sense. You have advantage on investigation and wisdom insight checks. Huh. Well, it'd be fun to play a detective with him. 
perfect, like, fantastic detective. And they get wisdom as well already, bump as well. So this is a very good detective. Invisibility to get into places, light. Um, you already have dark vision, but it's just good for your well, other party members. Who's a specialist at... Or to track uh, things, or to... Disarming traps. Sure. Like a bomb disposal unit. Why not? For investigating, you're trying to find those things? Uh, yeah, investigation's your skill for disarming traps. Sure. Or thieves' tools. Uh, well, yeah, those help too. Um, Sleep's but- interesting. I mean, they've got an interesting sort of spell thing for free, which is a bit weird. I mean, a lot of people get the light cantrip. It's quite common. Um, all ASMR get it. Now these guys get it. Um, they get sleep, which is interesting. I One of my favorite spells, sleep. One of my favorite first level spells, at least. Very good. And invisibility. So an interesting sort of conflicting spell list. But I suppose it's to reflect the the drow, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure like where these guys fit into the whole world. But I wouldn't mind if a player asked me to run. Like, if, if they could play one of these. I think, why not? And I mean, they've got a cool ability list to them. I don't see why not. Yeah. I mean, it's another race with a wisdom bump, but... I, lo- I think wisdom is fantastic. Yeah, look, I mean... It doesn't hurt your perception checks, which is, come on, one of the most important. We've taught, yeah. Wisdom checks uh, are common. Inside, I mean... The amount of times people said insight check or perception check sure. or... Well, perception's called for a lot. Right. And it's okay, typically, if you don't have it because you're in a party with people who, who typically do. Um, but yeah, insight's a, a one that's also fantastic to have, sure. especially if you're interrogating people. But And as we wrap up, I think there's something we've been dodging with this book, which is obviously dunamancy... And dodging it. I, I mean... I don't know. Explorers got to Wildmount. One of the biggest features, most advertised, was Dunamancy. The yeah. new subclasses, two wizard subclasses, but why does wizard need more subclasses? And plenty of new spells. I didn't. I did not know new spells would be coming out. Um, we can skim through these. We don't have to spend too much time on each of them. But Dunamancy spells. Very cool. A lot of them transmutation, of course, but I would not have minded to see a new school of magic. Yeah, I mean, without getting into the other ones, because I haven't gone through them in detail yet, but just talk about that before we wrap up a little bit here. Why do you think Dunamancy is only like a sub-school? Like a tagline? I mean, it's basically transmutation still, isn't it? Or Most of them are either divination or transmutation. Oh, I see. So they've got... Oh, right. So while it might be a school, it all of the other spells actually in it are from other schools. Like sure. There is. It's, it's, it's essentially a tag to organize them, and you cannot cast them unless you do Dunamancy. Right. You can't learn them. So only so, Dunamancy wizards can know these spells. So why do you think they just avoided adding another school? Is it just... I don't know. Frankly, I don't know. I think they would have been better off. Maybe maybe they just didn't want like this optional, like this very sort of small niche thing to have its own. Is it just because thing? the core rules of schools are so set Well, that adding another school to it would, would basically break the core rules somehow? I, I don't know the way things are set up currently. And it, it could be a thing just in Eberron, or just not in Eberron, just in Wildmount, or in Exandria, right? They have specific spells that only exist there, that are all Dunamancy spells. And there isn't a big spell list for it. There's only 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 Dunamancy spells, right? Or unless you count, like, but the ones with the, like, there's not many, right? There's, I mean, there's more than there are teleportation but there's not maybe not enough to make their own right it's not sub- enough for like a full school, school of things but they got two subclasses which is more than any other school of magic and it's still even though i know it's in a legit book it's kind of play testy still like it feels all of these, that way like many of the spells that are in D have been in D for a long time and actually weirdly though some of the most popular more played ones are very new Sure. Um, spells like catapult have not been around very long, but 
I've seen that spell cast more at the table in the last year than almost any other spell. Um, people love it. It's just, and it's, it's good. Fun. It's yeah. good. It's great. Um, and maybe some of these will start to, to find that their place at the table that way as well. And then they, after a while, just become part of the, the spell vocabularies, if you will, like the, sure. the regular sort of spells that get used again and again. And some of the lesser ones just kind of, you know, disappear a bit but curiously did any of the the ones with the widow gas name on it no come through none of them with the widow gas stuff came through uh, so that's i mean that's a thing from critical role and something i was speculating i was wondering if in the book itself just like we've seen with you know tensor's floating disc is tensor tesser tensor tensor tensor's floating I, I disc mordekines mordekainens mordekainens yeah. thank you thingies sword or magnificent mansion yeah, or that's a good one secret chest or leoman's tiny hut sure and i mean there's so many named after wizards it's not that many but there's a few that have been floating around the books and they've go way back to like first edition and it was always a bit of a question i remember when i was who a kid guys? playing it yeah. like who the heck are these guys it's, and the idea I now that watching critical role and watching caleb Widowgas, the wizard come up with spells and then see those in the game would be kind of like oh I know what the wizard is now that that, that name's about, which is be kind of fun, but I'm a bit sad that they're not in there. So may, may, maybe the next, maybe the next edition uh, for the Exandria world will have some more in it. Sure, because no doubt there'll be another book on it sometime in the future. Hmm. All right, that is episode four. Well, let's not. We should stop numbering these in case we show them as, in some other order. But all right, if you're watching this, listening to this chronologically, and we're putting it up that way, yeah, this might have been our fourth episode. Um, for all of you out there uh, practicing your social distancing, I uh, hope you uh, find ways to still connect online. I hope some of the tools that we've talked about today make that easier for you. I hope mm. that. Uh, you can still find a way to have fun in these uh, challenging times. Absolutely. Uh, until next time. I am Jack Billway. And I'm Jay, and wishing you all the very best. Take care. Take care.